1 Samuel 24, verse number 1. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, chasing the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Ah, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, that is, take a, take a, a nap. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of the Lord, the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe, privily. It came to pass, <coughs> it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. We'll stop reading right there. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, my application of the scripture might be on point. And even though perhaps I might embellish the story just a bit, I pray that you would control it for your honor and glory. That you teach us to imitate the faith of David in many or several different ways. We ask that you would make us better servants of Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Generally speaking, the lessons that we have had thus far in this series have all been positive. By that I mean Noah needed faith to trust the Lord's revelation, and to build an ark. By faith, he completed the Lord's will. He was going in that direction. Moses and Joshua needed faith to move forward, trusting God to cross uncharted waters. Jonathan told his armor bearer that he had faith to believe that God would give them a victory on, over those Philistines that were on the bluff over their heads. They were all trying to move forward by faith. They were trying to reach new goals by faith. And so were all of the other examples that we've looked at thus far, and there's been 9 or 10 or 11 of those. Tonight, I'd like to briefly consider two other varieties of faith. We might describe one of them as lifestyle faith, rather than a specific faith for a specific goal, like crossing the Red Sea. And the other is somewhat opposite to positive faith, but at the same time it isn't exactly negative. This second variety 
isn't about moving forward. It's about keeping us from falling back. Faith is the victory in many different ways. We need to cling to the Lord as we move forward and not slide back down the hill. Consider what, was, what David was doing in 1 Samuel chapter 27, 1, chap, 1 Samuel chapter 26, 24 and 26, 24 and 26. He was experiencing persecution from someone who should have been his example in serving the Lord. David was running from King Saul. Saul knew by this time that God had rejected him as king. He also knew that David is the one to replace him. David was fleeing for his life. Throughout these chapters, several chapters, he's just one step ahead of the spear and the sword. And this took faith on David's part. I hope that you can see that. Every day he awoke asking for and trusting God for protection. On the other hand, Saul was clinging to something which no longer belonged to him. The throne, the crown, wasn't his any longer. He had a small army of 3,000 special bodyguards. They are mentioned in both chapters, which I find interesting. In other words, these 3,000 are his men, chosen special men. 3,000 well-equipped soldiers. How many soldiers could we get into this auditorium? 200 would pack this place out probably. Could we get 3,000 soldiers on our church property? I'm not sure we could. 3,000 soldiers to catch David and a handful of others. This is quite an army. This is quite a, 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 a feat, shall we say. Saul had 3,000 men seeking David upon the rocks of the wild goats and throughout the wilderness of Ziph. If those men could have located David, it would have been game over for the young heir to the throne. They never did catch up with him. It wasn't God's will that they catch up with him. David had some promises, and he was trusting those promises. Neither Saul nor David were in control of things. Jehovah's in control. David was trusting the Lord to protect him and to keep the promise that he had made to David, he, David, will be king someday. But Saul was living in denial of God, trusting his own wisdom and his own strength to maintain the authority that he had over the nation. He was making a fool of himself in the process. In chapter 24, this is how I visualize it. After spending a full day looking for David, Saul and his men came to a sheep coat. That is a corral-like enclosure, which in this case was up against uh, a bluff or up against uh, a mountain, a hill of some sort. And into that hill there was a cave. Saul's soldiers filled the sheepfold 
spilling out and around it, while the king, I think, went into the cave to sleep, maybe overnight, maybe just for a nap. I'll say it was overnight. And in this cave, he probably still was surrounded by a handful of his specially trained troops. They had no idea that David and a handful of David's friends remained in the sides of the cave. Saul's people may have made a quick search of the cave, but they were not thorough enough to find David and his men. So David was perfectly safe, sheltered in the dark, underneath the arms of the Lord. After the weary king fell asleep, some of David's men whispered to him that God had given him the opportunity to get rid of his enemy. They misquoted or they misinterpreted God's word in the light of the situation. We're not exactly sure what the prophecy was. Maybe Gad had come to David or Nathan had come to David with a special word and these others might have heard it or this may have been just implied from what they knew about David's anointing. Now is the opportunity for you to become king, David. Behold the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. As it shall seem good unto thee. 24 and verse number 4. The Lord was testing David's faith. And some of David's friends were not proving themselves to be good friends to David. They were encouraging David to sin. We have friends like that. Or are they friends? But what seemed good unto David was to carefully and silently creep up and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe. When the king later learned what David could have done to him, Saul lifted up his voice and actually wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And then at that point he asked David, recognizing that he will one day sit on the throne, When you are king, please do not destroy the rest of my family. Saul is assuming that if David becomes king, Saul is no longer there. Don't kill my family. Don't, and, of course, David had no intention of killing the family of Saul. Some weeks later, chapter 26, David and Saul were once again in the same sort of situation. Saul went home for a little while, but there's just something in him that, that just will not let go of the fact that David is out there. And now he's got uh, this 3,000-man army out searching for David once again. This time, as the sun began to set, Saul and his men filled the hill of Hecula. Right in the middle of his 3,000 men, the king nestled down under the stars and fell asleep. 
It may have been one of those rare blessings that Saul didn't experience very often. But on this occasion, it was the sleep of God. It was deep. It was coma-like. I mean, Saul fell asleep and that was it until he woke back up. Apparently, Saul was feeling pretty safe. He was trusting himself. He was trusting his warriors. He had no fear whatsoever. What fools the flesh can make us be. The truth was, Saul was in imminent danger. We are always in imminent danger. I don't care if you walked to church tonight. Fred Nimmo was walking on his street near his house and got run over by a car. What's to keep some big Toyota Tundra from crashing into us and killing us on our way to church? Where our lives are, are simple things and, and can be gone in a, in a moment. David, in this particular case, and his nephew, Abishai, the son of David's sister, Zeruiah, crept past the perimeter guards who were dozing. And then they made their way past uh, uh, hundreds of sleeping soldiers right up beside Saul, who is lying there next to Abner, his number one general. Then whispered Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee. 26 and verse number 8. David did not give him permission to drive a spear through the heart of King Saul. Rather, they took Saul's spear and what was in effect his canteen, a cruise of water, Then they carefully made their way back through this army of 3,000 men and passed through those perimeter guards out into safety. Saul may have considered David to be his enemy. Abishai may have called Saul David's enemy. But David did not agree. He didn't consider any worshiper of Jehovah however good or poor it was, to be his enemy. The Philistines were enemies, not Saul, not Abner. And later, David proved that when he expressed true heartbrokenness when these two men died. Just because there are doctrinal issues or personal problems between saints, God's people are still brethren. Whether we're like them or we're close to them or not, they're still our brothers, our sisters in Christ. David certainly was not going to take the life of Saul, even though he had the opportunity. Again, what was David doing in these two chapters? He was fleeing from someone who wanted to kill him. 
I'm sure that if we thought about it a while, I chose not to do it. If we thought about it for a while, we could come up with ways that this illustrates Christians in the 21st century. And we could come up with some applications about David's faith. But let's move on this evening. Maybe we'll, we've already done that somewhat in other messages. Let's move on. David was hiding from Saul and he was trusting in the Lord to protect him. And that trust involved two things. David had faith that the Lord would keep him safe. Point number one. He could wake up every morning with the expectation that God will keep me safe throughout this day. He woke up every morning not surprised that he slept through the night. He expected God's blessing. He didn't, on most occasions, dare God to protect him. He didn't ordinarily expose himself to Saul and say, here, shoot your arrows at me. He didn't test God. He trusted God. He lived his life expecting the Lord to bless the life that he was trying to give to the Lord. He was simply trusting God to keep him alive until that day when God would complete the promise that he had given to him. This was positive faith. This was faith that was looking forward. But I'd like to draw something else from this story. David was also trusting Jehovah to keep him from sin, to keep him from tarnishing uh, his reception of God's blessing. He could, ki he could have killed Saul and become king. But it would have put... Uh, a horrible stench upon his, uh, his access to the throne. David pictures faith in God in the midst of temptations. The temptations that his own men were throwing at him to kill Saul who was in his way. Back in 24, inside the cave... His well-meaning friends were encouraging him to murder Saul. But this wasn't hand-to-hand -hand combat initiated by Saul and a very reluctant David. No, this was, Saul was asleep. If David had killed him at that time, it would have been nothing less than murder. Oh, for a good reason. Doesn't matter. It would have been murder. Rather than do that, David crept up and cut off part or perhaps all of the fringe around the bottom of Saul's robe. I don't care how sharp his knife was. I cannot imagine how that could be done without waking up Saul. <laughs> it, it, it's mind-boggling. David's confidence and trust in God that the Lord would keep the king asleep during this process is amazing. That David could trust God that much. We're talking about practical faith here. This is life and death stuff. 
Only a fool or someone who could trust the promise of the omnipotent God would have attempted anything like this. So why did it bother him? Why did it bother David after he did it? It came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. It bothered him because Saul was God's anointed. It bothered him because that, can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been for Saul? Just, well, just to have his robe all torn up in, in the side of his men, that would be bad enough. But to have to admit that somebody did this while I was asleep? And David said, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That was mean. That, that's terrible. But it had to be done. David felt obligated to get his message through to Saul. That morning as the sun started to come up, Saul ordered his men once again to start uh, looking for his enemy. They left the sheep coat, and as they did, David and his men silently came out, and they probably held back in the shade of the uh, nearby mountain so that the rising sun didn't actually shine right down on their faces. And David revealed to Saul what he had done. That is when Saul wept and confessed his sin. After a few more words together, Saul left David alone and went home for a while. From chapter 26, consider the faith required to pass through an army of trained soldiers to reach the king. It was done because David has in his hands a a promised deed from God. I am going to survive. I am going to be king. His faith in the Lord and in the Lord's promise refused to fail despite the ongoing opposition and hatred from the king. David also had to refuse to sin in order to force a fulfillment of God's promise. There might be all sorts of ways to apply that temptation that's thrust upon David. I'm not going to sin by worrying about the... Did you know there are experts who are saying that within the next 12 months we are going to be at war with China? Military experts are saying that. You know, I've known that for weeks and haven't mentioned it doesn't bother me. I'm not going to worry about that. The Lord is in control. The Lord will take care of things. I refuse to use worldly or sinful tools to strengthen this church. I refuse to uh, stop. Am I saying this correctly? I'm going to continue to preach repentance, even though if I stopped, it might make the gospel a little more appealing to some people who don't want to have to admit their sins, sinners before God. We're not going to cast aside important doctrines in order to please an unbelieving world. By faith, I want to continue to trust God to, and do His work in, in, in godly ways. 
In the process, I'll let the Lord work things out as He chooses to do it. In our second chapter, David stole Saul's spear and water crews before later giving them back. What I'm trying to suggest is David's spectacular faith in the Lord. Look at him creep up to the man who wants him dead. And God protects him. If one soldier had seen or heard David or Abishai, it probably would have meant instant death. If they're approaching the king, you, don't, you, you shoot and ask questions later. But David trusted the Lord to keep him safe in the midst of, a tr- uh, of trying to make a point with Saul. The king needed to know that David intended him no harm. So David cut off the skirt of his robe and ran away with his spear and water crews. He risked his life trusting God to teach and preach an important lesson to this important man. Also, David's faith kept him from listening to the tempters who were trying or telling him to force God's hand. It might be argued, well, David didn't kill Saul because, after all, there is that law that says thou shalt not kill. Well, David knew thou shalt not kill. There was more than this. He knew that the Lord was going to move Saul out of the way in the Lord's good time. So David could trust God, waiting patiently for the Lord to to move. I hope you can see that it was David's faith which kept him from the sin of murder. 1 Samuel 26.10 is an expression of his faith. As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. So often we sin because we lack faith enough to trust the Lord not to sin. One example. Why do people lie? Why do people lie when they are cornered? When they're confronted with something that they have done? Isn't it because subconsciously we think that there is no safe alternative? So I have to lie. There is always an alternative to sin. Tell the truth. And let the Lord take control of the situation. What's going to happen then? I don't know. We'll just let the Lord show it to us. Sin is never the right thing to do. God doesn't need our sinful help for him to keep his promises. What is David doing in these two chapters? He's living by faith. This is slightly different from my last point. David could trust God to keep Saul and his armies asleep because David was living in a state of faith, faith in God. He didn't have to pray, mustering up enough courage to trust God for specific miracles. He woke up every morning and passed through every day trusting God. It was just the way he was living at that point in time. I'm not saying that he didn't pray about new problems and challenges, but he was constantly leaning on the Lord by faith 
whether or not he had time to stop and pray about this particular problem. He experienced God's blessings on his faith day after day. And with each of those experiences, his faith grew. His trust grew. He was learning day after day that God can be trusted. David did not have a refrigerator filled with fresh veggies. There was no trailer with a freezer and a generator tagging along filled with hamburger for the men to eat in the evening. He was leaning on the Lord for every meal while scampering from this hill to that cave and that wilderness over there. The God who fed Israel with manna for 40 years could easily care for David and his men for 40 months or however long it was. When he was forced to visit one of the outlying villages, David had to trust the Lord that they wouldn't send a message to Saul about his whereabouts. And there were occasions when they did exactly that. And the Lord delivered them. He escaped, always escaped. At night, David didn't have a tent in which to sleep. That might be spotted by the enemy. He slept under the stars. He went to sleep trusting God to keep him safe. Not only from the uh, sentries or the, the soldiers but also from the uh, uh, lion who might be in the area, the bear that was close by. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that during this time, David slept soundly. He later testified, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 3.5 I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, makest me dwell in safety. Chapter 4, verse number 8. Isaiah said, God, I know thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 26, 3. This is where David was. This is where he was living. He, he was, he was, his faith was permeating him, every aspect of his life. I won't try to imply that David was the perfect believer. There is no such creature. David had his sinful moments of distrust, but as we see in these chapters, he had his good days and he had his good nights as well. In fact, generally speaking, it was more in the dangerous situations that David's faith was the strongest. David was living by faith, trusting God to bring the divine will to pass. This was his manner of life. This is the pattern that he is sharing with us. In regard to Saul, David said to Abishai, As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. David, the servant of God, was trying to help other believers to have that same kind of faith that he had. And he left them with an example. When a man's faith is strong, it will keep him from falling back into sin. 
And David blessed that man's faith. David slept in faith. Saul slept. Abner slept when David needed them to. David had his needs met for many months throughout all his wilderness wanderings. Then, in God's perfect time and way, Saul was removed from the scene and David was crowned king. The point is, Jehovah can be trusted, but we have to trust Him. There's the weakness. Really trust, really depend on God.